0: Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is our focus chapter, verse for this week. And we're going to deal with it and touch on it. This is actually uh, a very powerful chapter. I've preached from this several times. Matter of fact, um, from a little bit of a different angle, during uh, our first shutdown uh, here. I preached on a portion of this chapter one night on a live feed, but um, I feel like God's trying to speak some things to us tonight. We're going to approach it a little bit different, and uh, I want us to just read the second verse together, and then I'm going to kind of come in in and out of the chapter tonight, and do my best to get you out of here before Christmas Day. Amen. (laughs) Like nobody, like, I figured somebody would laugh a little more about that, like... You, you don't mind if we stay late, do you? Can we? Bishop said I didn't get to preach twice on Sunday, so I'll be done in two hours or less. Praise God. I'm just joking. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Let's read this together. How be it? Our God. In your face, devil. What you thought you were going to pull a quick one over on the body of Christ. God's about to turn this thing around. Mm. Praise God. I'm going to have to move pretty quick tonight. So you may be seated. And I'm just going to tell you what I believe believe the timing of God is impeccable. Yes, it is. I'm going to prophesy some things to you right now before we get into the depths of this chapter tonight, and I'm going to tell you that there is an Esther anointing that's coming on the church right now. God. there were a couple of things that happened in this story. That God is getting ready to do for his children again. And I want you to pay very close attention to this. For those of you that have been full of worry and wonder about what God's going to do. How he's going to deal with everything. Let me just put your mind at ease and tell you. There were two things that happened in the story of Esther. That were pivotal moments. And that was that God did a miracle by placing Esther in the right place at the right time. That was the miracle. God did that. And the second thing that God did is he allowed Esther to have influence with the political leader that exposed the plans of the enemy. Now the place that we get impatient with God is in the waiting. But I want to tell you what God is going to do. is He's going to take The corrupted plans of the enemy that has tried to destroy God's people. And he's going to turn it around on the enemy. But the decision cannot be made. and entrance cannot be given into the king's presence. Until the gallows have been finished. If Esther would have walked in to the king's presence. Before the gallows were finished, Haman would have never hung on the gallows that he had intended to hang Mordecai. And so what I'm saying to you is, in the Holy Ghost tonight, I'm going to prophesy to this church. And I'm going to tell you that this season of waiting that we felt like we're in right now, we're saying, God, when are you going to move? When are you going to answer? When's it going to happen? I'm I'm telling you right now that the gallows are almost finished. And that when the gallows have been finished, the anointing is going to rest on God's children like we have never seen. And a boldness is going to come over us. And God is going to give us the opportunity to stand in places that we never dreamed that we would stand. And he's going to take the plan of the enemy and he's going to turn it upside down on its head. And everything that the enemy has tried to do against you, everything that he's tried to do to destroy you, I'm going to resurrect a prophetic word in this church tonight, and I'm going to tell you that it's we're getting ready when the when the gallows are finished. We're getting ready for a sevenfold return on everything that the enemy has tried to steal from God's people. Now Nehemiah is finishing a great work as a, the children of Israel come out. Of their captivity back into the homeland. Ezra. Begins to rebuild the house of the Lord. The second portion of Ezra's story. Is when Nehemiah comes into the picture. And in the English Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah are separated into two different books. In. uh, An original context. Really Nehemiah is the end of Ezra's story. That Ezra builds a house for the Lord. As the city is being rebuilt and Nehemiah comes in to build walls around what Ezra has rebuilt. It's a picture of dangerous religious practices. For us to have the religious structure of the church. Yet no protective walls around it. To have a city that we have come to and to claim as our own in the promises of God. Yet. The enemy still had open access to it. By the time we get to the 13th chapter of Nehemiah, and you could preach so many things about this chapter, but I feel like this is where we're kind of at as a movement right now. Nehemiah begins to speak about the revealing power of the Word of God. Now, church, you don't have to believe this if you don't want to, but I'm going to tell you that the Word of God is the most powerful force in the earth. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And when the authentic word of God is preached, it exposes the corruption of the enemy. And Nehemiah comes back from a leave of absence, and the wall has been built, the breach has been closed, but something is off. And so he looks at the priesthood and he says, Get out the scroll and read. They unfold the scroll and they begin to read and they read in the word of God that day that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the house of God forever. This is interesting because by all physical uh, views, by what we see in the flesh, the job was completed. Ezra built the house of the Lord. Nehemiah finished the walls and closed the breach and put gates back into the city. The job surely has been done, but the word of the Lord was a revealer of the corruption that was still in the kingdom. And he said, The Ammonite and the Moabite shall not come into the congregation of the Lord forever. And the word of God revealed that although there is walls now, walls have been built around the house of God and around the city of God, there are still some things within the city That are corrupting a pure move of God. And then this prophetic utterance rolls out of the mouth and says this it's gonna be just like Balaam that when he tried to curse God's children, the Lord turned the curse into a blessing. In other words, there's some things that are going on that are not all right with God. But don't you worry about it. If you'll do the right thing, then God is going to show you that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Go ahead and let the Ammonite and the Moabite feel like they've got by with some things. But the word of the Lord came to root up and the word of the Lord came to stir up and the word of the Lord came to root out. I'm telling you that what God is looking for in the 21st century church is somebody that will declare the pure word of God. Not a word that will make us comfortable in our sin. Not a word that will make us comfortable in our predicament. But a word that will root up the nature of the problem that we see this is God's church. This is God's city. And so we're dealing with some, some issues. I'm going I'm to come back to this, run full circle. But the Lord begins to speak through his word. And it begins to reveal some things. Some things that had transpired in the priesthood. Now folks. Folks. It's one thing when people that don't know better make mistakes. It's another thing when we've been living for God for a long time and we make decisions knowingly that break the heart of God. And this is what Nehemiah was feeling. Something's off. The walls are done. The the, the temple's done, but there's, there's something that's off. He said, read the word. Let the word of God reveal it. And the truth begins to surface that Eliashib, who was a priest, had joined himself into some kind of an alliance with a man by the name of Tobiah. And we see in this story that Eliashib had allowed Tobiah to move into the temple of God. Into the chamber where the anointed things of God were to be. Where the meat offering was to be there for the priesthood. Where the priest would be fed by that meat. Where the things of God, the holy things of God, the instruments and vessels of God were to be stored. But Eliashim had allowed an outside voice to move inside the church. And the word of God revealed that. Now think about this. Why does the name Tobiah sound so familiar to us? Because Tobiah is the name that comes to us early in the story of Nehemiah. As he's building the wall around the city of Jerusalem and the house of the Lord, there are two men that come out of the woodwork and they make their way toward Nehemiah. And they say to him, Come down off that wall. What were their names? Sambalit and Tobiah. Now think about this. Early in the story, Tobiah was considered an outside influence that was trying to stop the work of God. But somewhere in the work of the kingdom, Eliashib becomes so weak that he allows what used to be an outside influence. To now be an inside voice in the house of God. The pressure from Tobiah early in the story was come down, stop. Quit building the wall. Quit building safeguards. Please stop. Nehemiah, come down. And when he couldn't get to Nehemiah and Nehemiah kept working and the people had a mind to work, he waited till the job was completed. The whole intention of the wall and the closing of the breach. Go back and read it for yourself. The wall was almost finished, but there were breaches in the wall. And these people were still allowed to come and go. So Nehemiah closes the breach and he fixes it. But the issue is this. What was supposed to be kept outside by the walls. The walls do no good if what should have been outside has now been allowed inside. This is such a picture that... I hope you all can get the picture of what I'm saying to you tonight. It's unreal in this day and time of people who say they still believe in the power of walls. But the word of God is rooting up and rooting out right now. That there are churches that claim in power the pure word of God. And they claim that they're surrounded by walls. But here's the issue. The walls that were built to keep things out of the church. Oh my, my have now become the barricade that keep the secret things hidden in the house of God that should have never been here in the first place. How does it happen? It's nitpicking one day at a time. The enemy is like a Chinese torture chamber waterboarding dripping one drop at a time. Messing with your mind one night at a time. One restless night at a time. Eliashab, listen, this is wrong, man. You shouldn't be shutting us out like this. Breaking down the will of man over and over and over. And we see that it has caused some uh, serious problems among the people that Nehemiah is dealing with. Ezra came in and he said, listen, if you're going to take this land back... He said there's some Samaritan people that we're going to have to kick out of this land that have moved in here while we were gone into Babylonian captivity. There's some things that we're going to have to move out. Now listen to this. The very thing that Ezra was trying to get them to kick out when he comes on the scene. Now all the way through Ezra, the building of the house of the Lord, the finishing of the wall with Nehemiah. Now those same voices that should have been removed as the city was being rebuilt are now at the very central structure of what God's trying to do in the temple. What's your point, Pastor? My point is this. Is that there's going to come a time if we, as the 21st century church, continue to spurn the voice of God and push away the warnings of God and the Word of God comes forth and says, come out from among and be separate. Come on. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. That sooner or later, you're going to find out that what you cannot control eventually... Controls you. Ezra said, let's, let's get it out. And then the priesthood starts marrying their women. And by Nehemiah 13, now Nehemiah's dealing with something. The strange wives were supposed to be put away. The strange wives were supposed to be gone. But now Nehemiah's dealing with what the people refused to help Ezra do. And Nehemiah said, now here's the problem. You didn't listen to Ezra and these strange women that you took to wife. You are priests and your sons don't even know how to speak the language of the Hebrews. The next generation that should be offering incense, offering sacrifice in the temple. Don't even know how to speak the language of the Hebrews. How does that happen? It's a slow deterioration. That all you've got to do is start joining yourself. Just a little bit at a time. To ideologies and doctrines. That you don't really agree with. But there's something there that they can offer. Just just a little bit of something that they can offer you. But what the priesthood never thought about. Is that while they're away, offering the offerings in the house of the Lord that has now been finished. That mother that they have unequally yoked themselves to is back at the house while they're investing in the house of God she's at home investing in their house and she's teaching the next generation of priesthood to pledge their allegiance to a language that is not the language that will work in the temple in the house of God. What are you saying pastor? I'm saying to you that we've got to be careful the things that we marry ourselves to the ideas that we connect ourselves to all for the sake of fellowship just so that we can be accepted and we can be connected with people we have connected ourselves to ideologies and to doctrines that are going to train our children and it won't be but one generation and they won't even speak the language Can you imagine as you know my English is terrible so my Hebrew is even worse can you imagine that priest walking in one day to his son's bedroom? He said, hey, buddy, get up. Come on, son, wake up. As he sits up in the bed, he says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Chod. And he goes, huh? What? What's that mean, dad? Well, son, you're 13 years old. We've already had your bar mitzvah. You should know what that means. I don't I don't understand what you're saying, Dad. I don't understand the language that you're speaking to me. Because that's not what's been invested in me. I fear sometimes that if we're not careful, we're going to extend our hand to fellowship. To be certain that we're not alone. There's such, there's such a fear for some reason of isolation and being alone that we're going to extend. Now, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about your relationship. It's, it's certainly something you can apply to your own life. But I'm not talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking right now about the church, the bride of Christ. The things that we connect ourselves to. And say, well, you know, I I don't mind fellowshipping with them. There's some things that we're not really on the same page about, but for the sake of fellowship. And after a while, what starts happening, please understand, I'm not trying at all to raise a fuss or be goofy or whatever. But I'm saying this. If you've got children and you're constantly having to answer for your children while we don't do what they do. Well, they let them on their platform, Dad. Why can't we do that on our platform? After a while, you're going to raise some confused kids. Come on, it's Wednesday night. I'm trying to help somebody. This is why we've got to get a better answer for the next generation. Than, that's what pastor teaches. We've got to have a better answer for them. Than, well, because that's what the church teaches. We've got to have a better answer then. That's the platform guidelines. That's what you got to do to be in the choir. For the love of God, if you never sing in the choir, you still got to be saved. Our motive has got to be checked if the only reason we're doing it is so we can be used in a local church. We've completely missed the principle. It's not keeping his commandment for the sake of singing. He said, if you love me, you'll keep the commandment. It's not so that I can be used. It's to show him that I am madly in love with him. Levites are now in a tough predicament. They've married strange wives. They've got children that don't know the language. And they're not being taken care of in the house of the Lord. Why aren't they being taken care of? Well, because where they would have got taken care of, Elisha let Tobiah move in. Oh, Lord. So listen to what I'm saying. The Levites are now having to go other places to be fed and be taken care of. Because the place that was supposed to feed them. Tobiah has taken up residence there. So it paints a picture for us. Of priesthood that compromised. Not because the provision was not there. But because of what other priests have allowed to take residence in the place of provision. God have mercy. I'm telling you right now, I'm, I, I, th- this is good preaching. <laughs> There's some things taking residence in the place that we used to be provided for. But now we've got to figure out a way to do it on our own. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like the story. That continues to happen over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over with the children of God. When the, when the temple was built again and the old men started weeping. Do you think they were weeping because they were happy and joyous that the temple was done? It said the young men shouted the old men wept. Why did the old men weep? Well because they were there to see what holy fire Was like when it came from heaven and men didn't have to kindle the flame. The old men were there when the urim and the thummim were brought out for there to be clarity and direction given to the children of God. There were things. That only heaven could do. And that generation was in love. With what only heaven could do. But the next generation. That allowed the temple to be destroyed. And then rebuilt. Now they're having to light fires. That years ago. The Holy Ghost would light. Oh my my my. What kind of place have we come to in Pentecost? Pentecost. Where any type of fire that's lit, you know, they used to say, if that don't light you far, your wood's wet. But any type of fire that's lit, it's got to be lit by pushing and pressing and fabricating and manipulating. If the music doesn't play with our emotions, if it's not sappy music like Bishop said, Jesus is my boyfriend's songs. If it's not sappy music that doesn't just drain me out and I weep and cry. Listen, I'm, t- I'm just telling you all tonight, I'm not trying to be ugly whatsoever. But I do not believe that it's the will of God in the end time church for us to have manipulated and fabricated moves of God. I believe we need to let the word of God clear out the inner sanctum of provision for the priesthood in the house of God. I believe it's time for restoration in the body. I believe it's time for us to get back to seeking God to do what only God can do. I'll break it down for you like this. Okay, I have no desire to go back, so understand that but the moves of god that we read about in days gone by and that we hear stories told my great grandfather having mighty moves of god where people by the 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s and hundreds received the baptism of the holy ghost that didn't happen with air conditioning that didn't happen with padded pews that didn't happen with sound systems Now we've come to the place where, if a, a six-string guitar that has a broken string, so now it's only a five-string guitar and four of them's out of tune, but they get to singing and the Holy Ghost get to moving, people start getting the Holy Ghost, and now we're too good for that, so. If if we don't have that, then we've got a piano that never goes out of tune. It don't have to be tuned. It's just it's just there. We got drums and bass. We got everything together. We got it all right. We got good sound system. I, I've told uh, our team back there when you turn the key, when you turn the key back there, and the sound system comes on. There's right at hundred thousand dollars worth of power that comes on when you turn the key. It seems like we've got more powered things than we've ever had and less power. I'm telling you right now before we ever knew what a good drummer was in Pentecost, we knew what our runners were. Before we ever had good choirs. They called us holy rollers for a reason. I don't know. Sometimes I weep, and our young people aren't in here tonight, so you know my motive is pure. I'm not trying to play on emotions of young people. They need to, they need to hear this too, absolutely, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I, I fear sometimes when I go to meetings at other places why I strive so hard to keep this church Push and push and push and praying and fasting because it scares me to death to think uh, of what our kids are looking at for the next generation of Pentecost if the Lord withholds His coming. How many young people do you know that have ever seen somebody drunk in the Holy Ghost? How many of you women that have been cleaning in this church recently have? had to stop the vacuum cleaner and take it apart because bobby pins are hooked in it. Probably not. Goldfish? Yes. Bobby pins? No. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? The problem is that the weaker the church becomes in our demonstration and our power In the next generation, so let me try to break this down for you like this. If you come in in the fire, you're never satisfied with anything less than the fire. you come into a church that's never known the fire, you don't even know what you're missing. We want God to show up and show out, but we don't want to face evil kings that are going to throw us in furnaces if we don't... Come on. We want him to show up and show out in lion's dens. But we don't want to pray three times a day with our face to the city of Jerusalem when the king said, Oh, God. It's hard to sleep all night long every night in perfect peace and be restless in the Holy Ghost. I've missed over the last several months something that at the time I didn't really I didn't really realize that it was a ritual per se but I found myself doing it on a frequent basis and I didn't really realize how often I did it until these last few months I would sit down with my grandfather and I'd say tell me about that time when you preached in so and so tell me about that time your dad and you preached revival in such-and-such such Texas and and I would have him repeat stories to me that I had heard him tell before tell me about that time that you were preaching in such-and-such such place and, and, and he, he was preaching in Texas and he was behind the pulpit and while he was preaching behind the pulpit he, something just hit him he got extremely sick to his stomach he thought he was going to vomit on the, on, the, on the platform on the pulpit I said, well, what would you do? man? I bet you I've heard the story 500 times. I said, well, man, what in the world would you do? He said, I rallied the people. If you just knew the way he told stories. He said, I rallied them. He said, I got them up on their feet, got them worshiping. He said, I stepped off the platform, went out the side door, puked my guts up outside the sanctuary, closed the door, walked back up on the pulpit, and finished preaching. like hang on a second. When you never mind. You mean you were faithful in service when you didn't feel good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, y'all probably didn't hear it, but I just heard that rat. <laughs> Anybody know what it was doing? That's right. Got so quiet you could hear a rat licking ice. Tell me about tell me about the little church in Dyersburg that didn't have air conditioning, so you just opened all the windows. Took the speakers and you could hear the preacher inside, so you took the PA set and set it in the windows. Preach to all the old boys sitting out on the beds of their pickups, dipping snuff. Sitting out there smoking in, the, in their cars with their window rolled down. Tell, tell me again about the night that you were preaching like that. And the drunk man stumbled in the back doors of the church. <laughs> tell me about the night... That you were awakened out of your sleep. Larry Merrill called you drunk as could be in the middle of the night. Said he wanted to be baptized, so you just stayed in bed and said, I'll baptize you when it's convenient for me. If you've heard the story, you know that's not what happened. He got up out of the bed, came down to the church in that building, met with a man that was drunk as Cooter Brown. Got him up in the baptistry. Big man. If you knew Brother Merrill. Big man. Got him up in the baptistry. Put him under the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. And when he came up out of the water, he was absolutely as pure in his mind as a newborn baby. He was completely sober. How? 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 Are we going to see transformations? But please, I don't mean this to be ugly tonight, but I want you to follow the logic of the 21st century church. How in the world are we going to see conversions like that when we preach a message that allows people to stay comfortable in their drunkenness? Oh, just let him work on you, honey. It's going to, at some point, people are going to have to get uncomfortable enough to get up out of their seat and make their way to an old-fashioned altar all by themselves. It may feel like the longest walk in the entire city, but I still believe that if a man or a woman will make their way to an altar of repentance and repent of their sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, that God will fill them with the Holy Ghost and turn them around. Uh, I'm going to tell you all tonight that the reason we have seen transformations in people's lives and I'm I'm not going to embarrass anybody at all I'm just telling you the testimonies that have been told to me I stood in the jail one night thinking I was going to get arrested because <laughs> Brother Frank got up and he said, I know what it's like to be in here. He said, Me and my daughter were booked in here together the same night. Yeah. Not. not lying? Not. we got to the desk at the same time. Got to the desk at the same time. Yeah. Why in the world? Would you even want to join yourself to something that says there's no hope for you to change? Just keep on drinking. God have mercy. Keep on drugging. Listen, when we get to the place as as a 21st century church that we start okaying social drinking, all we're saying is, is the power of God can't change you, so just do a little less than you used to do. It's hard to see true conversions with to buy a living. The spirit of compromise may grow people, but it'll never grow a church. Oh, God. I wish so bad I could just lift this off me right now and say, okay, I'm done. Listen. The Lord spoke through the word, through Nehemiah. He said, don't worry about the evil that's been done. What the enemy meant for evil. God's going to turn around and bless it. Here's what I'm telling you. I do not care. And I don't say that as in. I I have no concern. I'm saying to you, it matters not to me as your pastor. If every other church in North America starts saying that these things are okay, that we've always held true to believe, we don't do, we don't go there, we don't drink that, we don't touch that, we don't talk like that, we don't smoke that. I don't care if everybody else in the United States of America says, I've got revelation. Let me tell you, they don't have revelation. You've heard me preach this through the years but this is one of the scariest things that keeps me on my face for this church and that is that revelation and delusion feel so similar to one another because they have the same source. The Lord's Word said that because they did not love truth that God would send a strong delusion. And cause them to believe a lie that they might be damned. If revelation comes from God, and that's truth, but you don't love the revelation. I'll just ask y'all a question. I want you to think long and hard about this. I know pastors old fashioned. I know that. That's okay. Let me ask y'all something. Why in the world? Would the Lord wait till 2017, 18, 19, and 20 to start giving new revelation to people on how to grow a church? Am I making any sense? I mean, why would God wait till 1150 to say, I'm going to send you a midnight revelation? Let <laughs> me tell you what will work. Get to buy out of the house of God. You still got to preach it. There's only one name. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to stay saved. That's a problem you Pentecostals think. You're saved by works. I absolutely do not. And you'll never catch me on record saying that I'm saved by works. I am saved by grace through faith. And I stay saved with my works. I believe that his grace and mercy have saved me. But I've got to do something in my life that says, Lord, you saved me, you turned me around, and now I'm in covenant with you. Baptism has got to go beyond being an outward profession of an inward faith, going public for Jesus. Give me a break. Don't act like you're a hero because you went public for Jesus. Oh, I've been raised alive. I went and got baptized. And me and 742 others the same day in a big swimming pool, we got raised alive. I'm gonna tell you right now, I do not believe that you gotta be baptized to join a church. Yeah. Right. 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 I believe you gotta be baptized to be saved. Yeah. 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 I refuse to give the right hand of fellowship to people that say baptism is essential if you want it to be if you don't you don't have to worry about it I'm not going to stick my hand out in fellowship to somebody that says the gift of the Holy Ghost is optional if you want to speak in tongues you can't hey I'm not his stepchild I am a child of God he doesn't favor me more than he favors you I'm glad to tell you you can have the Holy Ghost What, what do we do? Okay, here's what we do. We let God fix the curse, turn it into a blessing. Amen. That is not the whole point of the chapter. The point of the chapter is let the word of God reveal what's missing. He finds out Tobiah is where he shouldn't be. So Nehemiah walks in and he tells his priest, he said, go in there right now and clear out everything that Tobiah has moved in. Empty the room out. And you get this picture. Of pieces flying out of the room. Flying out of the inner sanctum of the temple. Just cleared it out. Got them an assembly line going. Throwing it out in the front yard. You have been evicted. You don't live here anymore. You don't belong here anymore. You have been evicted, Tobiah. All of your ideas, all of your doctrines, all of your philosophies, you don't belong here anymore. This is your eviction. But that was not enough. Because then he said, now take everything holy that was supposed to be there in the first place. That Tobiah, or worldliness, had moved out so he could move in. And take all of the holy anointed things and put it back into the room where it belongs. You want me to tell you what God is going to try to do in this end time? I believe there are some people, and you can write it down and say that I said it and prophesied it or whatever, but God is about to reach down to some people that have been disillusioned by Tobias spirits, and God is about to turn them around in the end time. I believe that God is going to give some people that have compromised another chance to turn around. Hallelujah. I believe it. some people that have got off track just a little bit and they're going to start moving some things out. They may lose some people in the process, but they're going to raise up a holy church. I don't know who will watch this. I don't know who will see this, but if any of my friends are watching this, if any of my friends see this that have walked away from this apostolic truth, let me reach for you and first tell you that I've never stopped loving you, no matter what the devil's tried to tell you about me. I love you as much as I've ever loved you, but I'm ready for you to come back home. I'm ready to hear you preach Acts 2:38 again. I'm ready to hear you preach Jesus' name baptism again. Come on, brother, get back in the old ship of Zion let's lift our hands right now I feel the Holy Ghost trying to move and work right now i telling you right now, God's been working on the hearts of men, massaging the hearts of men that have allowed their churches to get a little too far to the left. And he's been working on them. I've got witnesses in this place tonight that can tell you the truth. Now, I'm not talking about everybody, but there are some men right now. I've got witnesses of it that are saying things like this. Brother, I'm trying to get my church back to the center of the road. I'm trying to get my church back to holiness. I want my church to come back to a more conservative way. And here's all you got to do. Keep preaching it. Keep moving to buy out. Keep the house filled with holy things. You know why I have people come preach for us that make you feel uncomfortable sometimes? Because I still believe this. I've had guys get up here and preach before and I'm sitting in that chair like, oh my word. But when we've come to a place where sinners don't even feel uncomfortable at all. Do we want them to feel comfortable? Yeah, I want them to feel right at home. I want them to feel like they found what they've been looking for. But if they want something empty, they can find it anywhere. I want people that walk into this church to know you can come in here bound, but you can leave here free by the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. I want them to know you can walk in here addicted, but you can... You can walk in here broken, but you can leave here healed. Uh, let's stand together. I got, I got to get I gotta get you out of here. I stayed just under two hours, you're good. Verse 7 of chapter 13. I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. It grieved me sore. Therefore I cast out, verse 8, he said, therefore I cast out all the household stuff of Tobiah, got it out of the chamber. Verse 9, then I commanded, they cleansed the chamber and they brought the vessels of the house of God. They brought the meat offering, they brought the frankincense. And they put it back in the inner chamber of the house of God. What was it that revealed all of this? They opened up the book. They stood on the word. And the word revealed. The Ammonite and the Moabite shall not come into the house of the Lord forever. Because today somebody... Is going to make up their mind that we're cleaning the house up. Somebody could go home from this place tonight. There were so many things that happened in here. Forgetting the Sabbath, forgetting God, putting God off. Listen, you can go home tonight and start cleaning out some things that you've let move in. But don't leave the room empty. Don't just get rid of the distraction. Replace it with fervent prayer. Come on now. It's time to fill our houses up. When we feel led of the Holy Ghost, it's time to get up out of that bed. Go find us a prayer closet somewhere in the house. What if I wake my family up? That'd be a good thing for your family to hear you wake up praying in the house. Oh, God. Max Licato said this is in our devotion from this week in God's hand intended evil becomes eventual good so we've got to let God handle what he can handle but God did not come down into the temple that day and clean out the inner chamber that was on Nehemiah what are you saying pastor this chapter tells us When we let God do what only he can do, and we do what only we can do, it's a beautiful marriage. And things are restored. Life is different. It happens the way God intended for it to happen. I'm praying over this church tonight, this assembly, and I'm praying over the apostolic church. I'm praying over Pentecost right now. That God would heal our land. We got preachers that are more worried about the political landscape than they are the landscape of the inner chambers of their churches. Father, we need to be healed. I'm asking you to restore order in the church. God, I'm asking you to restore apostolic authority in the church. I'm asking you, God, to move across our movement globally right now and restore us to our roots. I pray, God, that we would make a departure from Rome tonight, that we would make our departure from the ways of Rome tonight and connect ourselves to the root system. Father, don't ever let us be apologetic about preaching and teaching truth. It is the pure word of God that reveals inner chambers that are filled with Tobias spirits. Let us be pure and holy and righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> We'll never hear stories about modern-day martyrs if the gospel we preach at the coming of the Lord is not even worth convicting and prosecuting somebody over. Think about that. Well, what if, what if so-and-so sect of religious people, what if they get turned loose in our land and they, they start coming, radical people, and they start, start coming to our church? I, I, most places don't have anything to worry about. Because we spend so much time trying to find in common with them. We're probably closer than you really think we are. No. We're not. We're in a completely different root system. I was talking to Brother Stephen in the office tonight before church. Somehow we've unplugged ourselves from... Jerusalem, and we've plugged ourselves in to, to Rome, to reformed ideas, and we've said, oh, yeah, 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 we're, we're separated from the world. In what ways? How? How have we separated ourselves from the rest of the religious world? Oh, well, we, we, preach, we, we preach different than they do. Yes, I'm going to tell you something tonight, church. We are grafted in. To a body, and I don't, I don't want this to sound disrespectful, but we are grafted into a, a vine that they're not grafted into. We are connected to that holy branch. We don't believe that Jesus was a prophet, although he prophesied. We don't believe that he was a rabbi, although he taught. Yes, he was a rabbi that taught, but he was not just a rabbi. He is God manifest in the flesh. Our root system runs directly to the Jehovah God, Yahweh, one living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that manifested himself in the flesh of Jesus Christ and purchased the church with his own blood. Hallelujah. I still believe that he has called us out from among them. And I don't believe that them is just the world. I believe that them are the ones that John talked about when he said they went out from of us, but they weren't of us or they would have never left. Them are the ones that Jude said have crept in unaware and they've perverted and corrupted the doctrine. He said, beware and earnestly contend for the faith that was. He's not going to deliver a new one in 2020. Once delivered. Once delivered. God help us. Help us, Father. I'm pleading, God, before this congregation of righteous people tonight. Help us. Help us to find our way. God, in this evil day that you told us was coming, they're lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Boasters. High-minded. They love the gods of this world. Let this body, this assembly, be found in the remnant that's holding on to truth. That's holding on to the faith that was once delivered and earnestly contending for it. I plead the blood of Jesus over this assembly. I plead the blood of Jesus over all that will hear my voice tonight. Over all that will hear the echo of this meeting tonight. And I pray, God, that you would help us to find our way. Let us be prepared as a bride, spotless and without wrinkle, at the rapture of the church. In Jesus' mighty name.